This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on AHP Digital. Thank you for joining me. Do appreciate your time. All the people that donate to the show, thank you very much. I really, really do appreciate that. All the supporters on the Facebook page, really, really do appreciate that too. Today I'm talking with Rob Nyer. And as you know, Nyer is one of the biggest firearms importers in Australia. Uh, one of the biggest importers of uh, law-abiding firearms owners' firearms here in this country. Uh, they do contracts, government contracts and other types of contracts as well. Uh, I talk with Rob about what products are coming to the market. There's some really new interesting products coming to the market this year in 2017. And we also have a chat about the controversial Adler and the reclassification of the Adler shotgun. Now, a lot of people out there, which I think is ridiculous, are blaming Naya for putting out that Adler torture test video. And they're saying, well, you know, if they hadn't have put out that video, you know, none of this reclassification, the government wouldn't be knowing about it. But I always tell people the government is after our guns, guys. There is no question about that. To think this was the catalyst or the thing that brought the Adler to light is just ridiculous. There's a lot of the government officials out there that want to take away our rights, take away our guns to future firearms ownership. And it's not Naya. It's not their fault. If, we, if that happens, it's our fault. We haven't done enough. We've got to start acting. We've got to start writing to our politicians. We've got to start meeting with our local members. Yes, it's difficult. It's hard. It can be nerve-wracking. But that's what we have to do. One simple video was not the cause of this problem. So you're going to hear from Rob Naya on that particular video and what he thinks about people blaming him and the video for the reclassification of the Adler shotgun. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. Of course, you can check us out, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Of course, you can find us on Twitter, AH Podcast, the the Facebook page. I think we're almost up to 20,000 on Facebook now, which is awesome. Yeah, listeners and downloads keep going up and up and up. It's absolutely fantastic. So without further ado, let's get into my interview, the Adler controversy with Rob Nyer. I'm Bob Catter from the Australian Party. We are talking to the Australian Hunting Podcast. God bless them all. Rob Nyer, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Really appreciate your time being able to join me today. I'm glad we've hit it off and gotten together. Fantastic. Yeah, that's great. No, uh, good to be here, Jason. No worries, mate. First off, I want to find about uh, who Rob Nair is. Uh, give us a bit of history about yourself. I guess people who don't know who you are, just give us a bit of background. Well, I mean, you know, grew up in the firearms industry. My uh, dad started uh, uh, retailing firearms when I was very young, and then uh, ultimately moved into wholesale while I was still at uh, high school. And uh, so I've been in and around the business, um, you know, for a large part of my life, and. Hung around lots of uh, gun clubs with the old man as a kid, uh, travelling around uh, regional Queensland to shotgun shoots and so on in the school holidays and uh, keen hunter myself. And um, yeah, so I've grown up in it uh, and, and loved the industry. Did you grow up in Queensland? Yeah, Queensland's home. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about the Queensland firearms industry? Is it uh, you know, different, you think, from, uh, from other states you know, around Australia? Uh, it's actually got a lot of similarities to New South Wales in that we've got a lot of feral pest destruction up here, you know, a lot of a lot of pigs, a lot of wild dogs, uh, that type of thing. Um, so not we don't have uh, duck shooting uh, that's, that's been banned. 
uh, courtesy of the Greens and um, and a Labor government we had at the time uh, up here. So we don't get to enjoy some of the uh, different shooting that uh, that occurs in other states. And we don't have public land shooting, um, which is a real uh, real disappointment. But you know we do have a lot of a uh, lot of open land and a, and a lot of places for people to uh, uh, to go chasing feral pests. Um, do you, when you were in firearms, or I guess when you were growing up, were your family into it? Dad, mum, you know, uncles, aunties, or anything like that? Were they in it when you were growing up? Well, I just grew up around guns. I mean, everybody uh, had guns. I went to when I went to school. You know, we had a rifle club. Uh, army. I was an army cadets. I mean, it, it was not. I mean, it wasn't that they were present. It's just that they weren't not present. I mean, everybody um, was involved in firearms that I knew, and um, uh, you know, taking uh, you know, kids would still bring their, uh, their their guns to school on the on the train for Friday afternoon. Uh, you know, rifle club. And, uh, you know, firearms were, were respected. You grew up with them. Um, there wasn't any great, um, you know, mystery about firearms. Um, and, uh, yeah, Dad was a very competitive uh, shotgun shooter. Uh, and that was really his, I guess, his social, you know, life revolved uh, for, for many decades around um, going to different shotgun shoots in uh, regional and rural areas and then the odd, uh, you know, state and, and national um, events, uh, catching up with people and, and spending a lot of time there. Interesting, uh, I've spoken about on my show before, Rob. I have a, my pop used to, uh, this is many years ago now, back in his army days, he died at the ripe old age of 94. He used to take his rifle on the uh, train up to uh, Lithgow. I, I don't think he'd be doing, if he did that today, uh, you'd probably have SWAT over your head. But just just goes to show you how times have changed, hasn't it? You know, like he used to go in his camo and he'd uh, yeah, put his rifle over his shoulder, he'd put it on the train and no one even blinked twice. I mean, it was still uh, relatively common practice, e- even in Brisbane in the uh, early 80s, uh, for school kids to take their guns to school on the train. Um, so, you know, this is actually, we're actually probably the first generation uh, where this is, um, you know, unusual. I wonder why it's changed that. Or what, what's the difference? Is it is it the media? Why have we turned into... I mean, a nation that's a lot different than other parts around the world. I mean, is, do you think there's one specific issue? It's a, a multitude of different things? Oh, no, I think that we've become an urban, uh, urban-based urban um, society and basically the legislators of the nation reside in either Brisbane, Sydney or Melbourne uh, within about a 10-kilometre radius of the CBD. And when you're sitting in that environment and you've got, You've seen, um, uh, basically, you've got the editor of every newspaper, radio station, um, every advisor to every government minister is, is you know, going to be uh, within one of those radius. Um, and then the, the remaining uh, contributors to policy uh, will be sitting um, in Canberra uh, or, or one of the other minor uh, capital cities. But um, once you've got, once you let those people make decisions and they're, they're completely disconnected from a rural lifestyle, uh, then they'll make decisions which penalise uh, people that enjoy um, going into rural areas or following rural pursuits. And firearm uh, use is, in general, a rural pursuit, um, the same as camping or uh, fishing and those sorts of things. These are outdoor activities which you can't do in the you know in the middle of a CBD. Yeah, it's really building, isn't it, though? We've seen, I mean, especially Queensland, we've seen, and New South Wales as well over the last five years, big numbers of uh, shooters getting into the sport, which is fantastic, I think. Yeah, it's probably the highest uh, percentage growth numbers in the last three or four years, I would have thought maybe, uh, well, certainly for the last generation, but 
you know, maybe for a couple of generations as far as uh, actual growth in numbers of people that are now actively um, involved in, in shooting sports or shooting as a uh, – or hunting as a, a recreation. Yeah, and, and I think Queensland, I mean, has always had a, a fairly rich culture, I think, of, of hunting and shooting activities, haven't they? Well, yes. I mean, basically what it comes down to is you've got, you know, blokes uh, and, you know, increasingly number of women um, that like to go uh, fishing, shooting and camping, you know, and four-wheel driving. And if you've got a big state like Queensland where you can do it and you've got access to areas, well, it, naturally you'll pursue any one or, or a combination of those activities. You're 100% right. The only the only beef I've got with Queensland, Rob, is that it's just way too humid for me. I was just on the I think we're <laughs> talking off air. I was only on the Gold Coast, sort of halfway, Yatla, which is halfway between the Gold Coast and, yep. I guess, Brisbane. And, uh, man, just too humid for me. I'd, I don't think I could go, you know, hunting in summer. It's just too hot there. We were shooting uh, a couple of friends up there just uh, last, was it last weekend, just uh, in between Christmas and New Year. And uh, it was like 38 degrees. We're in a valley. There was no wind to speak of. And it was just, it was just crazy. It was just way too hot for, for my liking. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll typically see us hunting largely from uh, April to September, um, and uh, avoiding some of the, the hotter months. You know, we sit and relax a bit more in the in the hotter months. No, you're 100% right. Tell us what does Rob like to hunt, shoot or fish, and what does he enjoy? Well, probably the, you know, my most enjoyable regular activity is um, heading out to western Queensland, um, sitting around a campfire with a bunch of mates I've been hunting with for about 25 years now, and uh, we take uh, motorbikes and guns and, uh, sit around the campfire and all night catch up on on what's been happening in each other's lives for the you know six months since we've done it um, last time and um, we go out uh, during the day and do a favour for the for the property owner and knock over some some pigs for him and um, you know we we're away from mobile phones away from technology cooking over an open campfire it's the whole the whole experience and the and the remoteness you know we we go to a place um well we move around a little bit but the last sort of 10 years has been on a on a place at about a quarter of a million acre uh property very remote and uh no power or anything and um where we go and camp and uh it's just lovely so you know what getting away from the city and the technology um that's really uh you know pretty big part of hunting it's not just uh you know the the, the 20 minutes of of an actual shoot during the morning that um you know of the action that that is what you go for. It's the entire experience, um, you know, stopping at a country pub along the way and all of those sorts of things that, um, that you know, that make the whole hunting experience. But, you know, I've, I've hunted, um, I haven't, I'm, I'm not uh, like a lot of people that have hunted all over the world. I've certainly hunted in Canada, the US, uh, Argentina, New Zealand, um, and I've really enjoyed those hunts. And I, what I love about um, going overseas to hunt uh, some of the bigger game or, um you know, some of those experiences I've had is the the ethics involved in hunting uh, and the fact that they're hunting for meat, that all of the meat is used and where we, where I, for example, can't bring meat back because of Australian quarantine issues, um, we'll take, uh, you know, we'll take a carcass to a local butcher and, and get the meat processed and given to, you know, Meals on Wheels people, things like that. Um, to me, that entire overseas uh, the, the ethics and the ethos and the hunting mentality that those guys have grown up with is lovely to go and see. Um, it is alive and well in some of our areas in Australia, but we don't have uh, as easy access to some of that style of hunting as, as they do 
um, say, in North America and Canada and those places. Mm, absolutely. What about any non-hunting-related activities? Do you get out and do any pistol shooting, clay targets, anything along those lines? Yeah, we've got a. Yeah, we're lucky enough to have our own uh, sporting clay shotgun shooting course here. Uh, so our company. So we've got a um, a rural retreat we use uh, for the business, which is only two hours from Brisbane, and uh, we've set up a sporting clay shotgun shooting course. So I really enjoy the uh, sporting clays. You know, targets coming left, right, behind you, and and underneath you, and from you know above and so on. Uh, the variety of that. Um, but I've done a, a bit of down-the-line shooting over the years, and I really enjoyed doing that with my father and um, and his mates. So, you know, each of those things holds, um, you know, different memories and different experiences, and uh, you enjoy them for different reasons. And I was a member of a, a pistol club in Brisbane for a lot of years um, as well. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a hugely competitive shooter. I'm, I'm much more a social shooter, and, and I very much enjoy the uh, any shooting activity. Um, but as long as I'm doing it with people I enjoy being with. Yeah, you're 100% right. I always tell people, they always ask me when they're getting into firearms, you know, do you have to be competitive? And I say, you, you don't. You can you know, be social, get out there with friends and, you know, have some lunch and enjoy the company of other shooters. That's what it's all about. Not necessarily, you know, you have to be competitive. Some people that I know, even myself, I'm good at other, some things. I'm not as good a pistol shooter as I think. I'm definitely a lot better at clay targets, but it doesn't matter as long as you're out there having fun. Yep, you're, you're very. It'll be a very uh, unlucky day for you to be beaten by me on any uh, in any discipline. <laughs> but, but, I was going to say I do like my. I was going to say I do like my sporting clay, so I, I, <laughs> I might try and match you one day with that. You know what I mean? So uh, we'll see be, how we go. You'd be pretty. You'd be pretty safe, but uh, <laughs> but you know we'd, we'd have a good time though. Absolutely, mate. Tell us what about your favourite species? If you had to pick one in Australia, what's your favourite species to hunt? Oh, I mean, just purely from a. You know, fun point of view. There's nothing more thrilling than than chasing pigs down on motorbikes and shooting pigs. I mean, that's just I'm growing up with it. And that's just you know where I get the my, my most fun. Um, probably uh, I'm probably more intrigued and interested in deer hunting. I've done a bit of deer hunting overseas and a little bit here in uh, the Brisbane Valley. Um, and I do enjoy uh, the stalk of uh, deer hunting. And um, I've I've got a little uh, butcher shop on our on our farm and uh, process my own meat uh, their cattle and, and sheep and so on and um, I'm getting ready to uh, I want to go out and grab a deer and um, and then process that uh, myself uh, with my boys I've got a couple of uh, teenage boys so I enjoy you know taking the meat right through and, and processing it all the way and, and enjoying it so so I guess you know pigs for a bit of fun uh, deer is my I guess a bit more intriguing and uh, something you can share then with the family a bit more. Absolutely. Rob owns one gun, his favourite gun. Which one is it that he owns? Well, favourite calibre would be a three oh eight, And uh, I've got a Ruger Gunsight Scout that pretty well does anything from pigs to deer hunting to, you know, anything. You can shoot anything with a three oh eight that stays shot, doesn't it? Yeah, I've, I just joined the 308 club myself, actually, do tell a lie. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, m- mind you, in in the industry, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, I try not to get stuck on any one particular thing. I like to try anything with selling. You know, I've set up a, a 306 uh, deer hunting rifle um, recently, um, you know, obviously different shotguns for shotgun disciplines and uh, pistols and there's you know, it, for me, I need to make sure that I'm I'm trying the things we're selling, 
and uh, trying different things and have as broad a range of experience as possible. So I really quite enjoyed mixing things up and not getting too stuck in one particular groove. Yeah, exactly. Interesting point, Rob. I know you deal with a lot of obviously, and we'll go into more about the business in just just a moment, but I know you talk to a lot of overseas, which I'm presuming you would, firearms manufacturers. I mean, how do they react to Australian gun laws and imports? I mean, have you ever had discussions with them? And if so, what what do they generally think about it? Oh, yes. Um, You know, it's always very topical. And, um, you know, I think, so basically you've got your European suppliers or you've got your American suppliers or your sort of two camps. The Europeans are used to quite restrictive, uh, you know, hunting or uh, firearm, you know, selection uh, criteria uh, and licensing. The Americans less so, obviously. Um, Universally, none of them can understand the uh, fixation in Australia on banning pump action or semi-auto shotguns. So even in the most restricted markets of the world, no one does that except Australia. they likewise the um, Australia's aversion to sound moderators. Um, you know, you talk to people in New Zealand, Canada, America, uh, England. It's almost compulsory in England, That's and right, yeah. um, and yet in Australia, there's the great hysteria any time we talk about it. So there's there's some anomalies which are just great standouts, um, which don't make any sense and don't contribute to community safety that no one can get their head around. Um, you know, the Americans, of course, uh, really struggle with the concept that um, no one in Australia is allowed to own anything for personal defence, including a firearm. So, you know, you can't own a cricket bat for the purpose of personal defence in Australia, um, let alone, as I say, a, a firearm. And they struggle with that. You know, we're, we're different societies and, uh, you know, certainly in a lot of areas, you know, I think there's a lot of people that don't feel any need uh, for that. But um, but that's just something that they commonly uh, comment on. Mm. What are your thoughts on self-defence, since you want to bring it up now? What are your thoughts on it in general? Um, I, I think as a general concept in your own home, um, people should be able to defend themselves. And, um, you know, so I, I find that I don't think people, I don't think Australians um, in the general community know that you are not allowed to own a firearm for self-defence. I think they, they think we are allowed to. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's if properly if properly understood, I think it's a very strange concept that you would say to um, a mother or father that they were not allowed to have something to defend their children in their home. Um, I think I don't think the general community uh, would think that that was a very smart idea. So I guess as a base uh, starting point, you know, I I think that as a, a general concept. We should be able to defend ourselves however, however we want within our own home. Uh, beyond that, I'm sure it gets more complicated and, and contentious. Absolutely. And we're seeing a lot of, as you know, a lot of issues down in Melbourne right now, Apex Gang. I mean, they've got, they're getting people, you know, citizens patrolling the street now because, you know, the police can't get there, police can't do anything. It's becoming a major problem. And it seems the Andrews government in Victoria is not really interested in doing much about it, if anything. Well, um, you know, as a Queenslander, <laughs> I'm quite happy that that's all down in Victoria. But uh, very sorry for my my Victorian brothers and sisters. But um, um, yeah, that seems like a very interesting government down there. I think they just banned um, calling people he or she or something down there or Mr. or Mrs. I think you're not. I don't think you're allowed to be. Uh, there's some very strange 
things happening down there. But anyway, <laughs> um, I'm at, that, that's one of the benefits uh, we put up with the humidity in Queensland because of that. Yeah, exactly. And you were talking about the guise of public safety. Very interesting that because I think, you know, even for myself growing up, Rob, I'm you know, 35 years old. So I was born in just very early 80s. I mean, we seem to be coming a bit of a nanny state, not just in regards to, I guess, gun laws. I mean, there's, you know, they've been fireworks, the exact same reason, because a few idiots blew their hands off doing stupid things. I mean, do you see there's a certain movement to ban everything that's fun? I mean, under the guise of safety, why are we going down this road? Oh, there is. I mean, I, I think, and I think people have absolutely have had enough. I mean, you know, the, there's, there's high profile things like, you know, the banning of greyhound racing, for example. Um, but, you know, as you say, banning of fireworks and, um, you know, basically it's the fun police are out there and there just seems to be an entire... Um, I don't know, a whole movement of people that are just desperate to legislate against anything fun. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we live in this in this world and I've got a, a 14 and a 16-year-old uh, boy, uh, you know, boys, and, um, you know, they ask me, oh, Dad, is it legal to do this or, you know, something? And, uh, and I'll say, well, mate, is it fun? And if it's fun... Uh, then generally it's it's illegal. Then I say yes, it's illegal. You know, <laughs> yeah. and and these are things which overseas are commonplace. Um, you know, you go to places like Italy, and uh, you can drive a, a moped without a helmet. Um, you know, the, all sorts of general freedoms that people take for granted in, in different parts of the world. In Australia, we've taken every you know every law from everywhere, and we seem to be just piling one on top of the other. And but I think the general community is sick of it, to be honest. I, I and I, I sort of sense that there is a movement against the politically correct um, gang that's out there trying to, to legislate against every little thing. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to OzGunSales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers Australia-wide and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including eight years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original OzGuns. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. Yeah, I hope there is because we're, we're, you know, we're seeing that with the voting for you know, the general public, who they're voting for. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull mm-hmm. tried to get rid of the crossbench. Now, you know, in some circles, he has a worse crossbench. In some other circles, he, you know, they're happy with the, the crossbench, uh, Senators. <laughs> so depends which camp you come from, I guess. But how did you get into uh, importing firearms? I mean, you just woke up one day and said, I want to import firearms? Or how did you get into that? 
No, it was uh, my father started, as I said, uh, dad was into, uh, set up a retail gun shop and he set that up because he was in, uh, we grew up, grew up in regional Queensland. We had a, um, at that stage, a tyre uh, and fuel business in uh, Miraburra and uh, his dad had moved to Gladstone and uh, set up a, a gun, sh- oh, sorry, a service station there. And uh, he was going hunting, pig hunting with his mates. And um, he'd asked for some ammunition to be ordered in with the local gun dealer um, in the town and uh, gave the bloke about a month's notice for his, you know, big, uh, pig shooting trip with his mates. And when it came round to um, go for the trip, they, they swung past the gun dealer to pick up the ammunition and um, the bloke had forgot to order it. And uh, he was furious. So they talked about it all weekend and um, decided that the bloke was no good. So on Monday, he came back and he started a gun shop in a, in a service station in Gladstone. And um, <laughs> yeah, right. the shop was uh, basically just his office, and he started off with just his own uh, about 15 second-hand guns on the shelf, and um, which were all just his own guns, and uh, set up an account uh, with a wholesaler and, and bought in a bit of ammo, and, and then it started from there. From a, He decided then he wanted to get into the gun business because um, that was his hobby and that's what he loved. And they set up a dedicated gun shop in Gladstone. And uh, from there, there was a business in uh, Rocky and, and for a brief time in Townsville. And then um, decided that wholesale was where he wanted to move to. So he ended up um, moving to Brisbane and setting up in 1985, setting up a wholesale business in um, in Brisbane. And, uh, and uh, you know, the business grew slowly from there. So it's been 43 years the business has been going now. Um, so it's been a long time and, and slow growth for a lot of those years. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, was, um, I got uh, involved on a full-time basis in the business uh, basically as a result of the gun laws in 1996. Um, I was off doing some other things with uh, my brothers and I had our own businesses and uh, uh, we actually bought um, half of uh, dad's business so he had his own he had the gun business in his own right at that stage he'd gone off and got remarried and uh but my brothers and i actually bought half the business uh, off him at that time and that was just prior to port arthur and then uh when the new gun laws came in um my eldest brother at the time uh, said to me well you know you better go in there and see what we just bought because uh could you imagine that? You're thinking, yeah, yeah. oh, my God, I've just bought this business. How much did we invest in this? <laughs> I know, you know, and luckily it was a small, smallish business at the time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it was a big investment for us. And um, so, yeah, I went in full time into the business. I'd work with Dad. I loved working with, with Dad. We worked side by side. And um, and I just I just loved it from then and, and enjoyed it. And, um you know, when I went into it, I said, I'll, I'll, well, I'll, I'll stay here while there's still opportunity to grow the business because I find, uh, you know, growing a business to be exciting and fun. And um, I'm still here, you know, 20 odd years later and still growing it and haven't run out of ideas on how to grow it yet. Absolutely, mate. Tell us about, I mean, I'm not sure if there's any new, but is there any new and exciting products coming to the market this year, say in 2017? Anything you can, you know, an a, not an AHP exclusive, obviously, if, <laughs> if anything's under the under the uh, covers, so to speak. But uh, any new products that will potentially be hitting the market or anything like that? Well, there will be a few things released uh, probably around April uh, or so, new products. Um, probably a category that is interesting and emerging, um, I think, is thermal, uh, thermal imaging and thermal game uh, finding devices and uh, I know Leupold has, has now stepped into that market 
And uh, that excites me because I think that's uh, uh, like one of the first big innovative changes in hunting equipment. Um, people have mucked around with a bit of night vision, a few things here or there, but thermal imaging, um, you know, now that the technology they've got now will allow you to identify in broad daylight um, uh, animals uh, that are in uh, relatively, um, you know, relative cover. Um, and that's going to be obviously important for, uh, say, deer hunters um, recovering a, an animal and so on in thick terrain. But um, I think it'll just be an interesting addition to to hunting hunting gear. I think it's going to be a, a very big emerging category. Yeah, I, I think I saw that. It might have been one of the pages. They were might have been your page, I think. Maybe it was they were advertising it. I did see mm. that. So definitely very interesting times ahead if they can, you know, add something to your to your arsenal of hunting deer. I mean, to help people yeah. out, why not? Yeah, and look, you know, a lot of the time we focus on really functional elements of uh, our hunting equipment, but at the end of the day, this is a recreation and fun, um, you know, for a lot of people, and and sometimes it's just good to have, the, the, you know, a new gadget and a new toy. We're always, you know, <laughs> that's right. If you if you're a motorbike rider, you, you you know, you go and buy new stuff for your bike, and you know, four wheel driver buys new things for his car, and hunters like buying new stuff just just because it's fun. You're right. Mate, let's talk about a bit to do with the, the Adler. As, you know, there's obviously been, as we know, as you know, everyone knows, there's mm. been a lot of controversies. It's been, I guess, not tough on yourself, but the employees in the business, or not really? No, well, it's been, um, I guess the, the thing has um, just been very unusual, really. Um, there's been a lot of, obviously, focus for pol- uh, parliamentarians over the last I guess the last six months of last year, I mean, it was very high profile um, in Parliament. We largely ignored all the media and so on that was going on for the last six months, um, didn't divert us at all um, in any way. The first the first six months of all of the hoo-ha um, did definitely had us more actively involved. But by the end of the, I guess, the 12 or 18 months or whatever we've been going now, it's just become such a ludicrous argument that we, we find it difficult to take seriously anymore. And um, right, I think yeah. most people yeah, I think most people have got there. I mean, at, at the beginning, everyone was intrigued and trying to work out what the controversy was. Um, but by the end of this, I think everyone's – anyone that knows anything has had any opportunity to, to look at this in any serious way just thinks it's a complete joke. Mm. Have you had any discussions with, say, political parties? And if so, what sort of the – you know, can you describe those dealings and also working, for an example, also too with um, David Lionel? You've been working with him uh, at all throughout this process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I engage with um, – I've tried to engage with all political parties um, and, and various levels of interest from, uh, you know, depending on the party you're talking to. David Leanheim, obviously very interested, uh, very knowledgeable, um, really gets his handle on very technical issues and so on of – uh, you know, something, you know, an argument around um, lever action shotguns, for example. Um, the National Party at a federal level has been very, very good as well. Um, there's no question about that. Um, the Labor Party has surprised me. They seem to, th- it strikes me that they uh, maybe see that this is, there's some political mileage, and I'm not sure how they see the political mileage in this, but clearly some strategist has determined that um, this is there's a political game for them to play here, um, presumably to try and get votes off the Greens, but I'm not sure that that does anything to their blue-collar vote and that a lot of the shooters um, 
out there, the blue, you know, blue collar workers, and, and would um, typically align with uh, Labor voting patterns. And um, so I find it unusual, but something has happened within that party that they've decided that is something they want to pursue. Um, within the Liberal Party, um, we've, you know, we've got some good friends that are shooters in the Liberal Party, um, but there's still an element um, that just want to subscribe to, uh, you know, blindly to John Howard's um, push against, uh, you know, licensed gun owners, and uh, uh, that's a difficult, um, that's a difficult barrier uh, to break through. Um, in Queensland here, uh, I'm obviously very close to Catters Australia Party, and they've got uh, a near balance of power position. Uh, the Catter boys have been very, very good um, on this issue uh, and wanting to meet and understand um, things and, and make representations to government for us and so on. So, you know, I mean, we talk to all, uh, you know, the Shoes and Fishers Party have been great guys as well. Um, so there's, you know, we've got a lot of friends out there in, in the world of politics. Um, and I think the ones that are anti, I haven't been able to hear any logical argument from them about what their issue is. No one's been able to articulate uh, and at a, at a serious level um, an argument against uh, lever-action shotguns greater than five shot. Yeah. I was going to say, too, it's interesting. I did, when I was in Queensland, I think last week, I saw an ad or it was like a, a a picture on uh, the Queensland Labor's Facebook page now was saying, don't gamble with, you know, Queenslanders' safety in regards to these firearms laws. Now, we know it's almost, uh, what if, if not it is, a hung parliament in, in Queensland. I mean, the, the Labor government's holding on by a knife's edge, you might say. So, I mean, they're taking a real gamble here. And I know, and we'll talk about the you know, Adler seven-shot you know, going to Category D under COAG as well. But mm. Tim Nichols has, has been positive. Now, you know, I'm very sceptical about the LMP. I always have been. I mean, they're the ones that instituted mm. these gun laws. So, I know Cata, obviously, and the Cata boys have got the balance of power. But, I mean, if Labor and Liberal get together, that's not going to make a difference at all. So, I guess the first question is, why is the, the Labor government in Queensland pushing shooters when there's a large contingent of shooters in Queensland? Land, but also on the flip side as well. Like, do you think Tim Nichols will? Do you think he'll have a spine, or do you think he'll back down and and go with party policy? Um, I'm hopeful that Tim Nichols will follow the federal national party stated policy, and which is the same policy articulated out of Victoria by members of the Nationals, um, and that is that they will support a Category B movement for greater than five shot lever action shotguns. Uh, uh, the Federal National Party policy does go a little bit further and it captures all shotguns greater than two shot uh, moved to Category B. So that would also be the three-barrel shotgun. Um, so it's not all our way with their policy, but it is by a long way a better position and uh, more reasoned position uh, than others. Um, I'm hopeful that uh, Tim will... Uh, Will back that federal national party position. So I'm hoping to have some discussions. I've not had any direct discussions with him uh, at this point, um, but I'm hoping um, that he will afford me that opportunity uh, mm. soon. And it is going to be something that will be debated on the floor of the Queensland Parliament this year and potentially very early on this year. Um, and so unfortunately we've seen, you know, I, I take your point on Labor coming out very strongly. I'm not sure why they've decided um, to uh, to come out so strongly um, and attack licensed firearm owners in this way, but uh, they have decided. I think 
obviously that must be because they think there's political mileage in it um, to do that. So they are certainly running a very strong anti-gun agenda here. I just think it's unbelievable. I think they're, they're really potentially maybe looking at another one term if they keep this up. Oh, look, I think that they probably will. I think that they will lose government over this because they, um, they're already a minority government, so they don't have enough members of parliament to pass any legislation. They rely on uh, two additional votes from independents or, or essentially from the crossbench. Now, they could take two from the KAP, they could take two from um, two independents that sit on the lower on the, in, sorry, in the, in the House or the Speaker. Um, so they've got to make up two votes from from that group. Um, and so they're only going to go backwards by attacking licensed firearm owners, which is a very large percentage of the, the uh, voting population in Queensland. Um, so I don't... Maybe they've accepted they've lost government. Maybe there's other issues. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know uh, why they would take this position. There's certainly no win in it for them as far as I can see. Yeah, no, good stuff. Now, this interesting question, next one. This has seemed to be, and frankly, the, 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 uh, this part's annoying me, actually. A lot of us, including myself, you know, we like to, to share on social media. We, you know, we, we share our videos. There was, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Aussie Reviews when he first reviewed the Adler. Now, yeah. a lot of, I've got to say this how it is because this is the question. I think it's a great question. I want to get your opinion on it. Some people blame uh, Niwa for putting out that video uh, that, you know, had the, the Adler shooting... Uh, you know, so many rounds, the torture test, I think it was. And there seems to be a growing amount of sh- uh, shooters, especially on social media, that are, uh, are not liking this sort of thing. They're disagreeing with people putting up their firearms, having fun with them. I want to get your opinion on, on, on when you, no doubt you've probably seen those comments yourself, and, and what do you think about those comments? Well, the video itself was up for two weeks. A lot of the people commenting, I suspect, never saw the video. Um what it showed was um, what is involved in doing a quality assurance uh, check on a firearm before we will release it to the market. So you will remember, uh, if we go back prior to the release of the Adler, there had been lever-action shotguns available in the Australian market for a long time, um, you know, 100 years. But the last 20 years or 10 years in particular, uh, we had, NIA had sold two different brands, IAC and Kiappa, um, both of which had high... Uh, levels of unreliability, and we ceased the sale of those. Now, we sold several thousand of those. Um, people didn't complain about that. That was all pretty mundane, run-of-the-mill stuff. And But for us to launch uh, a new product into that same category, we had to convince all of those people, the thousands of people that had previously entered that category, that the new gun was indeed reliable, that we weren't launching another firearm which was going to have high levels of fault. So we thought, rather than keep it a secret from shooters, we will show them the quality uh, assurance processes we went through. And that video included, it did show us shooting about 4,000 rounds, um, not not in its entirety, but a snapshot of us shooting 4,000 rounds. But we did that, and we thought, we're not going to keep that a secret from shooters. We also showed that we identified some faults in the gun and we pulled the gun apart on the video and we showed people where the faults were. And then we said that we were going to get uh, work with the manufacturer to get you know, those parts made more robust and so on so that they had confidence in the, in the product that they were about to order was going to be a reliable product and not a repeat of some of the other guns that have been around for the last 10 and 20 years. 
So the question is, um, you know, should we not tell shooters those things? As an industry, should we not be able to promote our products? Should we keep our door, doors closed and keep it secret how we do our quality checks? And should we try in this age of, uh, you know, multimedia uh, transparency where shooters are demanding to, if they've got an issue, they want to talk to the CEO of, you know, Leopold or Ruger or Federal. They don't, you know, they don't want to talk to the local gun shop. So shooters are demanding access to behind the scenes. And when we give it to them, you know, well, I guess the question is, do we give it to them or not? So we chose to give that to them. Um, I don't think there was anything wrong at all with that video. It was very matter of fact. Um, yes, we had a bit of fun because shooting is fun. And um, then the social media, the shooters themselves, started boosting that. The shooters uh, shared it amongst themselves. They liked it. It was a good price. It was uh, reliable. It was a bit lighter weight and it looked better than the previous model. So shooters then got on the bandwagon and started sharing that with their mates and, and, and so on. And all of that, I think, was fine too. I think shooters should share uh, you know, information about shooting products they like. Um, and then we had one regional newspaper in Victoria where a journalist decided that, um, you know, there was too much hype, that shooters in the social media were talking too much about this gun and that they, they liked it too much and that they'd ordered too many. And so, therefore, he decided it was a real problem. And um, he just, he put an article out and then everyone just responded to that article. So... I, I'm not sure, you know, in in, in retrospect, um, frankly, I, I wouldn't change anything other than uh, it would be nice if, uh, if people in the, in the general media um, would do better research before they simply started co uh, commenting and doing articles on things they didn't know anything about. Yeah, I totally agree. Just since <clears throat> I've just been on Facebook the last, you know, couple of weeks, you know, last year as well, obviously, and reading some of the comments and... You know, there was obviously a big, you know, people were happy this new firearm was on the market. Then I see some people that were promoting the product one week and now saying this is the same product that's going to do us over, yet they were promoting it the week before. I mean, there just seems to be a people that if you're shooting more than, which I don't generally do, but, you know, I've been out with people in front. Sometimes shooting is fun. Sometimes I want to, you know, shoot quickly. Sometimes, yeah, depending on what different disciplines you do, there just seems to be a contingent of people at the moment that think if you shoot more than one or two rounds per minute, yes, we're somehow reckless or we shouldn't be trusted with firearms. And these are shooters. These are the same people that should be, you know, backing up other shooters. I think you have a right to sell a legal product, and that's exactly what you did. I mean, we're talking about a Category A product. Uh, which is the lowest lowest classification firearm, it is still, uh, despite all the hype, the least popular category of firearms in the Australian market. And all of the discussion is about it. If you look at how many rimfire bolt-action 22 rifles are sold a year, or how many bolt-action centrefire rifles are sold a year, or how many lever-action centrefire rifles are sold a year, they are all a higher category, a higher number, than the category of lever-action shotguns. And yet all of this focus has been about what is, albeit a spectacular success for the product it is, um, still a very small number compared to other categories and doesn't deserve any of the attention. Now, you know, to, to some extent, we have been the beneficiaries of all that attention because um, all of that attention did allow uh, people like farmers and those that don't read shooting magazines and don't go onto shooting blogs to get access in the general media to find out that there was a new firearm about. And in fact, that media attention did fuel massive amounts of sales for us. Yep. So 
um, you know, it has become uh, more popular because of the media attention um, than it deserved, but it's still the least popular category of firearm in the market. Yeah, you're 100% right. I just, I just, I don't understand it. I just think we need to have fun with our firearms. I mean, you know, I saw one guy, I'm not sure if you're aware of Aussie Reviews. I think he was the first guy, one of the first guys I get on with uh, Aussie quite well. And we've done several podcasts together. And I you know, saw a guy, you know, blaming him for his video the other day, showcasing, you know, a review on the Adlon. I'm like, well, are we just supposed to hide, Rob? Are we just supposed to hide? You know, if you don't rear your head up, they're not going to realize, you know, just keep your head down. Don't do anything. I mean, you can only, I always said you can only defend for so long before eventually defense will fail. It's inevitable. You can't, we can't continually hold on to these category, you know, A and B firearms when, you know, we need to be looking at re- reducing further to get our, our rights back that we had previous. I mean, if we don't, we're eventually going to this, it's going to keep happening. We've seen it over the last 20 years, further and further restrictions. No real change on the NFA. Well, there's been no change on the NFA in 20 years that's benefited shooters. There's been some issues at you know state levels with you know certain things about getting people into firearms, try shooting, which you know are, are fantastic, of course. But you know we're really heading down a slippery slope. Oh, we are. And look, the things you know, as long as we, uh, as an industry and as a group, are out there promoting uh, things on safe in safe territory we should be able to to do that all day long and i don't think there's anything any safer territory than a seven shot category a lever action shotgun if you can't promote that in australia you can't promote anything i mean it uh, it, it is the slowest the slowest uh, of all lever actions to load the slowest to fire um shortest range uh, and, and lowest velocity. And if, if, if we lose that argument, we lose them all. And that is the issue. Um, and I think that's why the anti-gunners have targeted it, because they know it's such a, uh, you know, it, it, it sets the bar so low. Um, so, you know, they've been, they've had a very uh, cunning um, and well-organised uh, campaign. Of course, this was, uh, you know, we, we did have the 20-year uh, anniversary of Port Arthur and amongst all that, and uh, the groups, the anti-gun groups, had been getting organised for about a year beforehand, and um, so you know we, we saw them get more proactive than um, than they would have say a year before, or, or maybe even um, this year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking myself too. Who would actually want a uh, lever action shotgun on category D when? You know, I can get a pump-action shotgun or semi-automatic shotgun. Why would I want to go buy an Adeline? I think in Category D, they're up to uh, that classification is up to ten rounds. So why would I even bother with a seven-shot Adler? So I mean, look at the moment. It's interesting. The uh, so there's been a handshake of states that says that each state is going to go back to their own jurisdiction and uh, you know reclassify greater than five-shot lever action shotguns into category D. So the same as uh, an AR-15 assault rifle. And um, I guess where that argument falls down is is whether they will actually be able to uh, get that done in every state. Um, It will have to go back to the state legislatures. And I think in Queensland, um, there's a real question mark about whether they will get that over over the line. so I don't know what happens at that point um, to the National Firearm Agreement if we don't actually have national agreement. 
Mm, that's what it's going to be interesting, whether the states, you know, I don't, obviously I don't know the fully inner workings of the NFA about whether, you know, if Queensland don't go ahead, will the other states, can they still continue with it? Or does it have to be uniform across, you know, the, all jurisdictions? That's going to be uh, very interesting over the next, you know, three to six months. Well, every, every state has treated, uh, well, all states treat certain firearms differently uh, already. And um, so in Queensland, we can't have a 50 BMG, for example. Uh, but in New South Wales, you can. So as an importer, I can't even import into Queensland a supply to New South Wales where it's lawful. Um, so, uh, you know, and in Western Australia, they banned um, Savage 110 BA rifles because they, they were too black and um, they, didn't, they weren't pretty enough for them. Um, you know, but in, in other states, they were okay. Uh, and at the customs level, it's fine. And we've come across things like that in, in all the time about how different firearms are treated differently in every state. Um, so I'm not – I mean, there, are, there is consistency, national consistency on a lot of things, but there's also um, quite, a, quite a large number of anomalies uh, per state. So I think that um, – I don't think it would be an issue if Queensland chose to, to do something different here. Interesting. It's interesting in New South Wales especially. I can own a 50 cal in New South Wales. But I can't own a, Victoria. In Victoria, in New South Wales, I can't own a twenty-two cricket. I can't. I can't own a Rossi circuit judge. I can't own a Ruger Precision, but I can own a fifty cow. Yeah, that makes That's sense, right. doesn't it? And and then Ruger Precision's fine, you know, in in many other states as well. Exactly. So, I mean, this is you know, we really it really is difficult. Um, uh, you know, on on some, I, I guess it's a double-edged sword. If you ask for um, absolute consistency in everything, then um, you know, the the temptation for governments is to go to the lowest common denominator rather than think through the issues. And so, therefore, what's banned in one state would be banned in all. So, to some extent, we're okay with inconsistencies. Um, on the other hand, it would be nice if um, people in New South Wales could have access to the same firearms and, uh, you know, as people in other states as well. Yeah, I just shot one of those Ruger Precisions. They're actually not too bad at all. Just a couple of weekends ago, uh, 308, nice Nice firearm. I liked it. You're lucky to get one. They've been in hot demand. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I reckon that'd be a great seller as well. I've got an interesting question. Next one. I'm not sure if you're going to remember this, Rob, so just tell me if you do or you don't. I want to get your thoughts on it. Remember there was a, you were in the media on TV? Would have been last year, probably midway through last year, maybe 2015, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to, I was on the ABC 7.30 report with Lee Sales. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? Yep. Okay, you said, and I'm not sure, just correct me if I'm wrong here, because I'm thinking it's two things, and I've spoken to a couple of different people to get our thoughts. During that report, you said there were extreme elements that don't get a seat at the negotiating table. Just want to know what you meant by that, because the way I took it is you were talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong, people from the the shooting fraternity. Some people say I'm extreme because I agree with self-defense, which we chatted about before. I think that's a, just a God-given right, and I should be able to defend myself which way I choose, whichever you know, particular tool I desire. They also think, you know, I'm extreme because I want to get the laws back to pre-1996. As you know, we see in New Zealand, these laws work fantastically. They have pump shotguns, semi-automatics. They yep. have semi-automatic rifles. They're not an issue whatsoever. So the real-world examples out there prove that our gun laws just don't work. So I want to just find out what your thoughts were on what extreme elements you were talking about. Well, you and I would be considered extreme elements on on some of those things you just discussed. <laughs> on, you know, we'll be we'll be in agreement on many things. Um, in the extreme, what that was, that discussion was about was uh, the extreme anti-gun 
people are not at the table. And I said that, uh, gotcha. probably said, and, and, you know, may have said, I can't remember, may have said that we, we there are some uh, anti-gun, oh, sorry, extreme people on our side which are also not at the table. And I think that there are probably some, um, there's some extreme elements. Um, I'm not, I, I don't think you talking about um, pump-action shotguns and semi-auto shotguns and licensing of those sort of things would, would, would put you in that, in that bracket um you know if we you know we talk about militias and different people wanting to charge around you know gotcha. I, I put them in the same category as the lee Rhiannons and those people who are just extreme zealots wanting to uh they want to ban every single thing and there's no rationale to it they want an extreme world um where there's no uh, middle ground and there's no you know consideration of of each party's requirements and i think in um, in shooting fraternity, I think all in all, um, I don't think we have too many. Um, I don't I don't think we have too many extreme uh, commentators. I mean, everyone generally accepts uh, you know there's an obligation to community safety um, because any any firearm owner um, they grow up with uh, safety, personal safety with firearms, and um, so they understand the the concept of community safety with firearms. So I think if you're a genuine firearm uh, lover, you you understand the community safety requirements, but that, that doesn't mean that we we um, have to agree with the laws we've got at the moment because I don't think a lot of them contribute to uh, community safety. I think they just penalise licensed firearm owners. Yeah, I think you're a hundred percent right. We just saw just recently, and I'm not sure if you've seen it. You probably have. Uh, we saw the Australian Medical Association. Have you seen there? They've put something out <laughs> which is fairly anti-firearms that threatens to you know undermine our sport again. This is the Alana and Madeline Foundation as well. They're big on trying to shut down the Adler as well. What are your thoughts on these organisations? Like, why is the Australian Medical Association coming out and commenting on firearms when they have no jurisdiction in this area? Uh, I just uh, did some media on it this morning, actually. Um, And interestingly, the AMA in 1996, when we were at the negotiating table, uh, trying to, to, uh, I guess, um, affect the outcome of the, uh, the proposals being put forward by John Howard. Um, elements of the firearms industry were advocating for a prohibited persons register. So identify people that should not be allowed to have firearms and focus on the individuals and licensing rather than on the guns. And um, the AMA were the uh, roadblock to that. The politicians said the AMA as a lobby is too strong and we can't uh, we can't get them to agree because of doctor-patient privacy issues. So the AMA is the reason that the last 20 years there has been no prohibited persons register. And to me, uh, I think uh, I understand the complications of doctor-patient privacy issues and I understand it is a complex issue. Um, however, uh, simply outright refusing to allow that discussion really in my mind has meant people with severe uh, depression or anxiety issues or mental health issues may actually slip through the cracks under the system that the AMA have made us adopt. And I, I think the AMA, AMA coming out now and trying to uh, jump into this gun debate with very, very uh, poor information and, um, you know, really ill-thought and poorly articulated um, proposals is is terrible. And I think they are actually going to do much more damage to community safety by stepping into this room than if they stayed out of it. So, for example, their big issue is um, they talk about there's 6 million unlicensed firearms out there. 
yet the solution is to write another letter to a farmer and ban another gun from a licensed person who presents himself to a police station. And these two issues, so what, what happens is politicians will go, oh, yes, we can do that, that's easy, we can just pass a new law, write a new letter. But nothing happens to those six million firearms that, that may or may not be uh, in, you know, in uh, criminals' hands, organised crime, drug dealers, illicit firearms, you know, terrorists, all of those people. So the problem with them stepping into this argument is they say one thing and then propose another. So they say their issue is illegal firearms, but their solution is to write letters to licensed firearm owners. And um, this, is, this has been the issue all along, is that it's very difficult to get a good, uh, sound uh, public discussion on firearms uh, in the community because groups like this uh, grab a quick headline, say things which... Uh, you know, had no effect or, in fact, have the opposite effect of what they should be trying to achieve, and then politicians jump on it as a quick and easy fix and move on. Yeah, I know. I just I can't understand why they're getting involved in it. Uh, I always wonder, you know, who, who put them up to this? Why all of a sudden now, just after the Adler issue, why are they rearing their heads now? It just doesn't make sense. Uh, look, I, look. Uh, whenever it doesn't make sense, um, there is something behind it that makes sense. And what you'll see is the... Um, uh, so Gun Control Australia, you know, is um, is, is well organised. You know, they're a small group, uh, probably less than uh, less than a dozen uh, people um, against our almost one million licensed firearm owners in the in the country. Um, but they've got uh, good funding from people, and uh, they've got uh, some high profile organisations that have been able to infiltrate, uh, including um, the Madeline Sophie Foundation, and uh, and I'm I'm sure that they've got uh, they've got uh, Alpers, whatever his name is, the Alpers Philip professor Alpers. fellow. Yep, uh, he's been advising AMA. And so they've just got their people in uh, writing what it, at face value to people that don't know anything about guns seems to be, you know, logical uh, policy. But yep. it, it, it's in fact, I think it's destructive um, and, you know, really is reducing community safety by allowing them to, um, to get, get away with those, uh, uh, you know, the lines that they're pursuing. Yep. Philip Alpers, they say, adjunct professor. I said they throw that uh, term around very loosely these days, don't they? Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and I've actually had on my show Dr. Keston Green. He's a uh, researcher, uh, does firearms research out of University of South Australia. And we did a great show ooh, probably six, 12 months ago talking about these things, about suicide, about gun homicide, and the fact that these gun laws just haven't worked. This is a person that actually uh, researches this sort of stuff. And, and yes. it's, it's not working. So, Well, I mean, it's like any issue. If you're close to an issue and you really understand it, if you're a farmer and you understand about, you know, chemicals and, and runoff to reef and all these things, you, you, you become very much a subject matter expert. And when you see public commentary, um, you will know pretty quickly whether that person making that public commentary um, has a handle, a, a decent grip on the issues he's talking about. And I've got to say, I haven't listened to anything Alpers has said for years and I unfortunately see stuff that he puts out and, and immediately you know um, that, it, that it is rubbish. And uh, so I don't take him seriously, but, um, but there's obviously people that do and um, there are people that don't have that same deep level of understanding um, of the issues that Alpers and, and some of these other people are talking about. As an importer... Let's say tomorrow the laws change and you were able to, you know, bring in, you know, you were bringing in pump shotguns, semi-automatic shotguns, rifles, whatever it may be. See a lot of people out there that say, oh, no, we shouldn't, you know, shoot, this is shooters, mind you. Say, oh, no, we shouldn't be doing that. 
yet if they were available tomorrow for sale, they'd be the first people to go and buy them. Would you be happy to uh, import those into the country if they became legal tomorrow? Yeah, look, I think, you know, pump-action shotguns and semi-auto shotguns, they should never have been caught up in 1996. And we just look at New Zealand, at Canada, at England, uh, other uh, Commonwealth nations of a very similar socioeconomic group and, and uh, you know, cultural heritage, and those firearms are freely available without issue in those, those countries. So I, I, I just don't, I don't understand the argument against them. I never did. Um, so I couldn't, I couldn't understand why they would. I've never actually been able to hear, I've never heard a decent and logical uh, argument articulated uh, in support of banning those guns in Australia when nowhere else in the world that has firearms has done that. I just, I just don't get it. Mm. Well, I hope you'd be importing them because I'd be, I'd be purchasing one. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we're very happy to, very, very happy to. But um, no doubt. But you know, unfortunately, I don't. Um, you know, I don't hold out any confidence that we'll get a an evidence based review of, uh, you know, of categ- categories of firearms um, anytime soon. There, there is just no um, evidence based policy decision making you know, on firearms uh, that I've seen in the in the twenty odd years that I've been involved. Um, yep. You know, in meetings with government, they're very very rare will you find any government um, basing any decision uh, on evidence uh, and objective facts when it comes to to firearms and that's that's been um, our biggest problem um, you know as a firearms community yeah a couple more questions rob maybe five minutes before we finish off i just want to have a chat mm-hmm. to you about our organizations i know shooters this is what i talk about on my show it gets very political sometimes about you know shooters being very apathetic and that's not you know to say that that's bad but this show is inclusive of trying to get people to start writing to their local members making meetings with them writing to their uh, politicians both at a state and federal level you know we just don't seem to i mean shooters union seems to be doing a pretty good job in queensland obviously they're only small they're still building they're building getting the numbers up but we just don't seem to have that really spearhead organisation. I mean, we're seeing him with the Antis, the Lana and Madeline Foundation. We're seeing with Samantha Lee spearheading what she's doing. I mean, she's only one person. That gets too much, uh, you know, airtime if you ask me. But mm. do you think our organisations are doing enough? Yes, I know it's up to shooters, and this is what this show is about, to get them writing. Do you think they do enough for their, their, their members? Uh, look, I think all organisations, and I'm involved in several, uh, can do a whole lot better. So um, I, I do, but at the same time, there is a lot of very good work happening uh, by a lot of associations um, and some that, you know, get public criticism. I think that they are actually uh, doing some pretty good work. But uh, am I happy with uh, the overall effectiveness of um, how shooting organisations are combating the propaganda of um, groups like Uncontrol Australia? No. I think that we need to, um, unfortunately, we need to be a lot more effective and a lot more active. Um, but also there are a lot of people that, that agree with that and there is work going on um, by various organisations to um, to improve the, the structure uh, on how there can be some combined efforts uh, groups working together. Um, I think the most uh, successful element of uh, of the organize of the organisations we have is actually being able to reach out to individual members and encourage 
members to do exactly what you said, to go and have meetings with members of parliament mm. um, or meetings or, or email with. But I think um, I think that actually has been very effective in the last couple of years. I think that people have been very surprised. In fact, I know government has been very surprised with um, how many uh, firearm owners, uh, shooters, uh, are motivated enough to raise issues and defend issues. So I think that has actually been very effective. So albeit the individual shooter doing the work, it's been coordinated by their organisations. So I think that to some extent the organisations are, are very mature and effective, in, um, at least in that aspect. But there is a lot more that can be done and there is a lot more that is happening. So there are, you'd be happy to know that there is work behind the scenes that I think is pretty substantive um, by various significant groups working together. Well, let's hope there in the future. It seems, you know, pretty bleak at the moment. You know, I know when you say that, I mean, a lot of people don't know obviously what's going on behind closed doors, but when, you know, the, the average general shooting public, like myself, I include myself in that, see continued restrictions, they, you know, to be told that you know, there's there's light at the end of the tunnel sometimes can be a little bit hard to, to see that, you know? No, I agree. And uh, I think, though, that the, the crux of this is always going to be people power because, you know, Gun Control Australia, as I said, they've got, uh, you know, 12 members or something to that effect. Uh, <laughs> so we've got we've got a, a million licensed firearm owners. Now, um, at the end of the day, um, we're not going to get evidence-based policy around firearms. Uh, the policies will be made uh, for political gain. Um, that's the same on all sorts of issues. You know, firearms aren't special in that regard. We've had a, we've seen this sort of fall in politicians that that really think through issues. So we've got to accept that. Um, but when you've got a million licensed firearm owners out there, um, that's a big chunk of the voting population, and they've all got families and friends that don't think they're bad people. So I think you've got um, our, our power is the fact that we are the majority. Um, we are. Uh, good, logical, um, sensible, law-abiding uh, community members and that we are uh, present in all levels of the community from doctors, barristers, accountants, you know, miners, farmers, truck drivers. Uh, you know, we are in all aspects of the community. So I think that, um, you know, it's a growing and it's a growing group. So I, I'm, I'm confident and optimistic about, about shooters and, and where the industry can go. So I'm not I'm not too doom and gloom on that. I know if only they voted, you know, for you know pro gun parties. We're seeing a lot of people that just aren't voting their pro gun parties. And I know you know people got businesses. They vote for different things, and I I respect that. But you know when we're not having people voting for our pro gun parties, what can we realistically achieve? We need, and I think you're right. Evidence based policy, which is what we've seen with the Adler, is just not going to work. I think we need to be doing deals with the government. We need to be you know forcing the hand of the government. I see no other option other than forcing the hand of government via deals. I mean, the Greens complain all the time, don't they? I laugh when they, they say <laughs> dirty deals with David Lyon, who I'm like, you guys are the kings of dirty deals. Don't, you know, it's laughable when they say this sort of thing. They, they, they thrive on deals. Let's, let's be honest about that. But um, yeah. what about, say, me, Rob? I mean, what's your advice to the average gun owner like myself who wants to see some positive change in gun laws in Australia? That means removing restrictions on certain types of firearms like we see in New Zealand, that means, you know, getting their rights back. What, what's your advice to them? The, the most direct beneficial activity for an individual is to engage with your local uh, state and federal member of parliament and also the opposition, whoever's opposing them. Uh, so you've got, you're always going to have at least, you know, 
probably half a dozen serious contenders in your electorate. You need to work with every one of them. And the, the clubs that you're a member of uh, need to invite them for shooting experiences. And they need to understand how complex it is to get a firearms licence, um, how much uh, shooters go through, how responsible they are, and also how enjoyable shooting is as a as a sport and, and um, recreation and the camaraderie and uh, the discipline and, and so on that it involves. And so I think that we need to take charge, well, that individual shooters can take charge of uh, passing on that knowledge and uh, to the to the lawmakers. And if we can do that all over the nation, then uh, we, we might have a chance of getting evidence-based decisions because we'll take away some of the myths and uh, um, the furfies and the, the sort of lies that are out there um, and actually replace it with some facts. Um, that's all we're after. And I don't think any of us are advocating for anything. Well, I hope we're not advocating for anything which would reduce community safety. I mean, we can have... Um, good firearm access for all sorts of different firearms and still have very effective community safety measures. Absolutely. Rob, here on the show, we've got a segment we like to do. No one's exempt from the segment, I should say. It's a bit of a fun segment. This is a bit of a new one. (laughs) And it's called Five (laughs) Questions in Under a Minute. Do you think you can take the challenge? Well, I can. We, do we know what the topic is? Uh, that's what. The, that's the fun part. Is five right. questions in a minute. Let's see if you can do it in three, two, one, go. All right. Best thing about being a hunter and shooter. What is it, and why? Sitting around a campfire drinking beer with your mates at night. Okay. Favorite aspect of hunting. What is it, and why? Ah, uh, the social aspect. Okay. Favorite species you want to hunt outside Australia that you haven't hunted yet. What is it, and why? Oh. Um, Stumped him, yes. No, I, no I, uh, I'd actually like to do moose in Canada. Okay, if you could hunt anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Uh, New Zealand, I just enjoy uh, easy access, great country. Okay, number one firearm you own personally, what is it and why? It's my Ruger Gunsight Scout because it fits across the front of my quad and uh, I can shoot pigs and pretty well anything I need with it. Oh, he's nailed it, 46-22. There you go. Nailed it. <laughs> a lot of people fail on this show when they try and get it out, but uh, you've been successful today. Rob, last, mate, last question before I let you go. A um, bit of a story. Uh, I know you're probably thinking in your head, what sort of story am I going to tell my listeners? They always like to finish off with a story, so just a couple of minutes, maybe a hunting story, you know, personal accomplishment can be absolutely anything, but when you tell the story, I want you to sort of tell it to the listeners, you know, was it day, was it night, you know, summer, winter, just I want to feel like I'm there in the story. My listeners always email me and say they love the stories from my listeners. So can you share a bit of a story with us that you might remember about a hunting story, personal accomplishment? Yeah, sure. So uh, I um, probably the most memorable hunt uh, went on was uh, up in the Yukon in uh, Canada and uh, we flew on with, uh, flew in on a, on a float plane at a very remote lake and um, I uh, was left with a guide uh, just me and a guide in this camp, and um, and so the plane flies off, and we're there for ten days together. And he was a young bloke, um, and uh, so we're just sort of starting to get to know each other. And I thought I'd, you know, be, you know, a bit of a bit of a light-hearted, you know, banter with the bloke to start with, just to, to break <laughs> yeah. the ice. And um, he he says to me, uh, he said, oh, "I'll take you around, show you the camp." And there wasn't much as only two buildings and, a, and an outhouse. And uh, we're walking over to he show me where the outhouse is, and he said um, he, he stopped very very quickly, turned around, very serious. And it turns out this guy had a real fear of bears, 
and and it was a bear hunt. So <laughs> I, he, I don't blame he turn, <laughs> Yeah, he turns to me. He said, "Now listen." He said, "If you shoot a uh, if you shoot a bear and it keeps coming, um, you know, you shoot again. You know, you make sure you shoot again." And I said, uh, "I said, oh mate, I said, uh, if I shoot a bear and it keeps coming, I said all I've got to do is trip you up. I'll take all the time I want with the second shot." And, and oh, I, wow. I, I thought I thought it'd be a, a bit of a joke, but yeah. uh, he just walked off and he didn't talk to me for about an hour. So, <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> but we ended up good buddies out of it all, and uh, and it was it was a good trip. Did you get but, your bear? Uh, no, no bear. It was the oh, most bear-free no. part of uh, Canada. Canada that it was. Yeah, I just always see that stuff on YouTube. I watch a lot of YouTube and a lot of hunting videos, and I just think. You know, I've heard people being in their tents at night and, you know, the bears come around in the camp because they smell the food or whatever. And I'm like, oh, you couldn't pay me enough. I'd have to have probably two or three handguns there just to make sure that <laughs> doesn't come inside the tent. And if it does, yeah. well, you know, I've got to do what I've got to do, basically. But it um, yeah. scares yeah. the hell out of me just thinking about it. Well, it'd save you having to go out and look for them, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and <laughs> people say they like the, you know, not not say it's, I guess it's classified as big game, but it's sort of that tear and sorry, tear t- terror and fear big game, isn't it? The one where you know if yeah. you if you're not up off the ground, they can really really do you some damage. I've I've seen that's so. right, mm. that's right. Yeah, and they can climb trees too. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I saw that video. There's a guy on a tree stand. I'm not sure if you've seen that one where it comes up and starts sniffing him, and it's right there. And I said, oh, yeah. I would have just wet my pants. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't anyway, <laughs> It's all a bit of fun. It is. Uh-huh. All right, Rob Nyer joins us here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. Rob, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jason. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.